I'm a child of God. Having my hand, powerful Word of God, can change lives, open our eyes, heal our soul, teach us how to be saved. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Slap them right fast. No, don't slap them. Look at your neighbor and tell them you love them. That's what I want you to do. Tell them you love them. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. Latter part of chapter 6. The whole theme of our message series this month has been God rebuilds us. In order to rebuild us, got to have something broken down. Not only about you, but I could say my life needs some rebuilding. How about you? You ever built something? You ever had to put something together? <laughs> you know, especially when we had little kids at home and at Christmas time every year, I always had to put something together. And I always hated it because I was up late, late, late putting it together. You gotta wait till they go to bed, right? And it's Christmas Eve, so they don't want to go to bed. So you gotta wait, and you gotta wait, and you gotta wait. And then you start putting it together. And you get what you think is done all together. You didn't read the instructions, you don't need the instructions. You're smarter than that, amen? And then you get down to the end, and there's five or six things still left. But it all looks like it's together. Any of you been there? Just me, okay. <laughs> One or two of you will be honest. But you still have that sense of accomplishment, don't you? Finally got it done. Whew. It's awesome. It's awesome. The big idea today in today's message, and that, that's, the, that's the wrong chapter. It should be 6, uh, 15 through 19. I apologize for not having the right verses up there. But the big idea today is that when we allow God to rebuild our lives, people will begin to recognize His hand in it. And that's what you want. You want people to recognize His hand in it. So what I've used to do is I, I would work on things around the house and I would try to fix them and Usually I'd end up then having to hire somebody to come fix it because it just wasn't right. Cars are that way anymore. Used to you could get out under the shade tree and kind of mess around with it and maybe get it running right. Not anymore. If you don't have a computer to hook up to it, you don't know what's wrong with it. And they pull a little thing and they stick a computer on there and they'll tell you what's wrong with it. They'll say, well, that cylinder isn't running right. Well, I know that. <laughs> Duh. How do you fix it? Well, then they tell you $19 million later what it's going to cost to fix it. Seems like anyway, doesn't it? But today I want to focus in chapter 6, verses 15 through 19, I want to focus on a time to celebrate, but a time to also keep a repentant heart. Because it's not what we've accomplished. It's what God has accomplished. It's not what you and I can do. It's what God can do and God has done that makes the difference. You see. In Nehemiah so far we've seen three aspects of his life that I pray 
we also are seeing in our own lives. The first week we saw a broken heart. We saw a repentant Nehemiah who prayed and asked God to forgive him of his sins and also the sins of the nation of Israel. Because it's important that we understand that we all are sinners in need of the forgiveness of God. Would all of you agree to that? The great news is, most everyone in this room, I'm pretty safe to say, has accepted Christ as their Savior. Hallelujah. So, guess what? Your sin's been taken care of. But guess what? You still struggle with sin. <laughs> yeah, we do. So we see in week one a Nehemiah that's calling on God for forgiveness. And then in week two we saw Nehemiah begin the work of rebuilding only to face opposition. Anytime you rebuild your life for God, there's going to be people try to stop you from doing it. They'll try. Ah, you've done it before. Yeah, yeah, you'll never make it. No, you won't laugh. It won't, it won't stick. Oh, no. Right? Plenty of them. I'm going to turn it around. Boy, I'm going to turn it around this year. No, you're not. You say it every year and you never do. Third week, I saw Nehemiah develop teams of people. Some would... Some would have their swords drawn and be ready to defend, while the others had the trowel and were working the walls. Then they'd swap places, and then they'd swap places, and then, see, they were a teamwork. They were working together. People lived outside the city. He asked them to stay in the city and to help stay, stand guard at night. Very humbly, we're going to see Nehemiah today. On the back side of the project, we're going to see a, a humble Nehemiah giving God all the glory, all the praise, all the adoration. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verses 15 through 19, uh, let's go there in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles still open. In verse 15 it says, So on October 2nd the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies in the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Verse 17, During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was uh, Shechaniah, son of Arah, and his son Johanathan uh, was married to the daughter of Meshullam, son of Barakiah. And they kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. I love how Satan keeps trying, doesn't he? Keeps needling, keeps poking, keeps prodding. And I love it when I'm talking to you and I say, how are things going? And you're saying, oh man, the old devil's working on me. And then you quickly say, but I wish he'd stop because he knows it ain't going to work. 
You see? You recognize the enemy. You recognize who the enemy is. So this morning I want us to look at three principles to help us understand how we're supposed to complete projects. You know, it's been said it's easier to start than it is to finish. Any of you ever heard that one? It's easier to start than it's easier to finish. I agree with that. I don't know how many times I've started New Year's resolutions and by the third week you're done with them. Right? I was talking to Coach Trimble after the state championship game. Every week I talk to Brian and say, how does it look? And he, he gets the goofiest look on his face. Because he knows that on paper we're not supposed to be able to do what we did. When you, when you match us up player to player, we weren't supposed to be able to do that. But we did. And why is that? Because somebody was cocky. Somebody got cocky. That's what happens to us in our walk with God. Is when God starts doing great things, and you and I think that we're part of that, and somehow that happened because of us, we get cocky. Easier to start than it is to finish. But three truths I want you to pick up today from those verses we read. First one is, God's timing, God's timing and ability amazes. God's timing and His ability absolutely amazes. Look at at verse 15 again. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elul, in 52 days. That's pretty important. It's pretty impressive. In 52 days, they completed the whole walls around the city of Jerusalem. Wow. Wow. It's a statement that ought to give us encouragement. Because you see, that verse should be such an encouragement to you and me that in just a small amount of time, God can do a great thing and turn a very sinister, evil, bad thing into something great. In a short time, He can turn it around. He can take health and rearrange it. He can. Well, Jim Wheat shouldn't be with us today. Based on how he was, with the sickness he had, how many surgeries he had. He had three surgeries and, and just, I mean, just boom, 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 right next to each other. Major surgeries. And now he's home cooking? What? Bryant could have folded up like a leaf and said, Oop, I've got cancer in the blood, I'm done. He didn't do that. They told him to quit working out. Did you know that? <laughs> That's like telling the thoroughbred, no, you can't run anymore. Now, if they had told me to quit working out, I said, well, I agree with you on that 100%. Now. <laughs> no, problem. no problem at all. I live for Thursday because Thursday is my last day I work out from 4. I do Monday through Thursday. I'm done. I'm really done. There's times he comes over and kicks my arm just to make sure I'm moving after I get done. It's pretty ugly. But God can take in a very small time. We ought to be encouraged by this. He can take in a very short time and turn things around. Isn't that awesome? Now think about that. Think about that. 
He's not just in the business of giving us things to do. He's also in the business of helping us and enabling us to finish tasks well. He wants us to finish well. I love now going to see my endocrinologist because every time I see him, he kind of scratches his head because all my blood sugars are staying so low. That means he's got to drop medication. He says, well, I think we need to get rid of this one. Well, I think we need to cut back on this. I just love that. But you see, that's God doing that. That's God doing that. Now, I've got to help him. I've got to do that four-day thing, you know, live for Thursday at 10 o'clock. Amen. But he's ready and enabling us to finish our task well. I want to encourage you to think about maybe some of your projects in process list. Maybe you're, maybe you've got a list that has your children on them. Maybe that's part of your uh, projects in process. Maybe your relationship with your spouse is another one that you're working on. Maybe some evangelistic contacts that you you're wanting people you're wanting to reach out to and you're wanting to share the message of Christ, but you know you're you're, you're kind of hesitant to do it. Maybe it's a ministry project, a, a, an area that you've you've want to to be a part of and and see happen. You know, there's still projects that we need to do here at the church. If you like to paint, or even if you don't like to paint, but be willing but be willing to paint, we've got some spots for you. We got some spots for you that need to be painted. Maybe there's an area of spiritual growth that you are really needing to address. You see, I want you to be encouraged by that verse 15 because that means God can take these process issues and help you see them to completion. And help you see them to completion. You may not be done yet. But He can help you get there. But in order to, to see how amazing verse 15 is, you've got to see the timeline of when the actual events took place. You see, Nehemiah received the report about the condition of Jerusalem in 444 B.C. He received permission to go to help rebuild the walls from Artaxerxes in April of 443 B.C., he arrives in Jerusalem in August, August 1st of 443 B.C. And that, of course that would have required time to get supplies and to actually make the trip. They didn't have a U-Haul back then. They didn't have semi-trucks. And then the wall was completed September 21st, 443 B.C. When you put all that together, it was less than nine months from the time when Nehemiah heard about the news of the wall to when it was completed. Less than two months from the time he arrived in Jerusalem to when the wall was completed. It's amazing when you stop and consider how that had to happen. Can you see God's hand in all of this? Well, how about God's hand in your reconstruction? How about God's hand in you turning your life around? Oh, He's ready. If you're ready. 
Because there's an importance in finishing. And verse 15 is a great testimony to the power of God. And all that He can accomplish when God's people put their minds to work. You see, the importance of finishing is, as I said, there's a lot more people who start well but, but don't end very well. And so I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing? How are you doing with starting and finishing? One of the greatest verses that illustrates that is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verses 6 through 8. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. You see, Paul's not only saying it's about me, but it's about anybody who wants to come. God is ready to do something marvelous and mighty and powerful in your life if you'll just let Him do it. See, too often we ask God to help us. We see Him coming. We see Him lifting. We see Him moving. And then we knock Him out of the way. Then we say, well, thanks for just getting me over that one hump. I've got it from here, buddy. Why don't you let God see it to completion? Yeah, I don't know though. Let me go back to that projects and progress list. You know, raising your kids. I mean, often parents do great just getting started with kids. It's been fun to watch our boys become dads. Mark will be here in a few months. He has no idea. Oh, it's so fun to listen to him and, and, and to watch him and Amy and... See, now, Jeff and Misty, they're veterans. They've got three. And it's so true. So true. First one, the pacifier falls to the floor. What do you do? You get a brand new pacifier out. You open it out of that sanitized uh, carrying case, and, and you make sure that everything... Second one comes, uh, you, you kind of wash it off. Third one comes, you lick it and you stick it in their mouth, don't you? <laughs> sure. You know? pacifier what's the third one no suck on your fist it's okay you see funny how that works isn't it it's fun to watch Corey it's fun to watch him but I really want to watch old Mark his eyes will be bigger than dollars and he won't have any idea what to do and that's what makes it even more fun isn't it isn't that what's fun? Is when you have no idea what to do. And you've got to trust God, amen? Or they'll call mom or dad. They'll finally break down and call mom or dad. And what does mom and dad do on the other end? You start laughing. Because you remember how afraid you were too, right? And then you tell them, just lick the pacifier and stick it back in. It's going to be okay. They'll survive. See, parenting, starting off is, is not too bad, but... You know, it's a little more pressure as things go on, as they get to be bigger and more ornery and obnoxious. and They start talking back and they get like this fine, upstanding looking group of her on the front row and they already know all the answers up here. Just ask them, they'll tell you. There's not a thing you can tell this group of young people up here that's going to help them. We're dumber than bricks, don't you know that, folks? 
Oh, now they're going to act like, oh, that's not true. That's not true. Until they get outside, I said, man, how do you know that? <laughs> I used to be on the front row, remember? Yeah. Yeah, they start talking back and they start going out on dates and they drive off for the very first time and you see the taillights at the end of the street and then they turn the corner and disappear. Brother Hearn's going to have a hard time. Little Britches takes off. It's hard, isn't it? Especially hard to be a parent when you have rebelling kids. It's hard. But you've got to finish the job. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't, 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 don't cave in. Don't stop. Keep praying. Keep asking. You know, there's people around you who struggle with the same kind of kids. Find out what they're doing. Find out how much they're praying for their kids. They usually pray for them with their hands right around their neck while they're praying. How about improving your marriage? The Chinese have said about Americans, Americans begin their marriages very hot, end up very cold. You know, if you've been married for a long, long time, it'll be as hot today as it was then. Maybe even hotter. Hey, I don't know. You define what hot is. Do you find yourself being able to finish sentences for each other? I already know what she wants. She already knows what you want. That's kind of fun, isn't it? I remember when I asked Dorothy Branstetter, I said, what's the secret for you and Ralph being married 50 years, I think, at the time? You remember what she said, some of you? She said, yep, he gives me everything I want. She says, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and Brother Ralph just shook his head over there. That's the smartest thing you could ever do. Give her anything she wants to tell her, yes, ma'am. How about projects in ministry? Is there, is there things if you wanted to do and you've thought about doing, you've prayed about doing, you've got skills to do, but you just haven't followed through on them? Man, I'm telling you, now would be the time. Now would be the time. Second truth I want you to see in our, our, our text today is that God's ability is readily noticeable. God's ability is readily noticeable. In verse 16... We see how Nehemiah did it in verse 16. Look what it says. When our enemies in the surrounding nations heard about, heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. You see, when God does it, it's obvious. It's obvious. And the enemy recognized it was God. Now, Nehemiah could have said, well, I was a good leader. Wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been here and led the troops. He could have said that, couldn't he? And that's a tendency for some of us to do that. Yeah. It's a tendency for some of us to do that. The good news is, Let's back up like Nehemiah did and give God the glory. In fact, later, later in chapter 6, he gives God complete praise and honor and glory. James Montgomery Boyce is a New Testament commentator. and 
he wrote about this verse. He says, if there ever there was a time when Nehemiah could have been tempted to sit back and take credit for his success, it would have been when the wall was completed, but he did not. What he did do is shows his greatness. What he did do shows his greatness. You see, when you learn to deflect everything to the Lord, that speaks volumes about you. He goes on to say, since Nehemiah had come from the winter capital of Babylon, the boy says, I cannot help but think of the contrasting words of, the, of an earlier Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, in Daniel chapter 4, I put the verses on the screen for us to, to kind of take a look at. Let's look at the difference. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking, uh, excuse me, taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from the human society, ate grass like a cow, drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. You see, when God says something, He means it. And when you and I get in the way, and we take credit where God has brought victory, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Why is it that so many people will acknowledge God, pray to Him regularly and fervently on their way up the ladder of success only to get to the top rung and finally forget who helped them get there? Third truth I want you to take away today is that God's blessing always meets opposition. Verses 17 18 and 19, deal with that. I wish the chapter ended at verse 16. It'd make it kind of more fun. But the rest of the chapter tells us that Tobiah and his cohorts are still keeping up this letter writing campaign and they've been doing some intermarrying in verse 18 and creating allegiances that weren't healthy. God couldn't honor them and wouldn't honor them because they were Breaking the precepts and the laws of God and the principles of God. One of the things that I've tried to encourage you is to get these books and read them. I want to read a little excerpt from The Harbinger. And then I want to see a video as we close this morning. And I'm telling you, listen to both. In the book, Khan is giving an illustration of a gardener. He says, In the case of the gardener, the cause lies hidden beneath the surface in the roots. So even if he solves one problem, another will reappear, and another, and another, until he finally deals with the underlying problem, the root. 
So in other words, Israel's real problem was a spiritual one. It's separation from God. Everything else was just a symptom or manifestation of the underlying problem. So the vow to rebuild is like a gardener attempting to remove a weed by cutting off its leaves. You see, you can't get sin out of your life if you're just going to scratch the surface. Our nation will never rise in prominence until we put God's principles back in leading this country. We will never, ever be able to be blessed of God as long as we ordain and sanction the killing of babies. More Babies have been killed since 1973 through abortion when it was first legalized than all the wars we've ever fought. Ever fought. That's a staggering number. 377,000 babies aborted 2014 by one organization, Planned Parenthood. Oh, but they're not a, they're a birth control organization. Sure they are. The ultimate problem wasn't national security or defense or the Assyrians or even the attack. If a nation's underlying problem is spiritual, then all the political, economic, or military solutions will do nothing to remove it. You see, when, whenever we stand up and say, God, I got this. God, I'm strong enough now. I've got this. We're in trouble. Whenever we get in the place of God, we're in trouble. Whenever we believe that our righteousness is somehow exceeds His righteousness, we're in trouble. When our thoughts are not His thoughts, when our actions are not His actions, when our words aren't His words, we're in trouble. I believe God can rise anybody from the ashes. He can raise those that are full of sin and bring them to life eternal. He can take us from one spot in need and bring us to a point where we have no need. I want you to see this video. The guy speaks in a British voice. But please listen. Turn the volume up so they can hear it real well. I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, still the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagamatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in a spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves, 
I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here, I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears. Drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, fill the soil, forsake the toil, quell the rages, show the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs you are looking for me. In the body touching body it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger. In the and the fables in the this is me labels in the is this me is this me in the hear me hear me say my name in the touch me find me need me find me in the aching pain in the love music the beats the taste the need and the need for embrace with the color the gaze the meaning the desire in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire when you cry for my name you weep. I am he who waits for you to reach. I reach for you and wait. When you lie half broken and awake, I am the watchman of your sleep. I wait and wait till the shakings cease. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you reach out for us and you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you so desperately want us to reach back. Father, I'll never understand why we wait so long. Why we wait till our bodies shake, our minds race, our eyes dull, our ears refuse to hear. Because it truly is You that we seek. Nehemiah was a man born out of Jerusalem, raised to fear you, 
to honor you, to love you. And Father, thank you that he was willing to submit to you. So today, would there be one in this room that would say, I seek you. I found you some time ago, but I'm seeking you. There may be a burden that they're carrying that's just too hard to bear. They're seeking you. Maybe there's a family turmoil that's going on and they absolutely have no answers with which to answer the problem. They're seeking you. Maybe there's a job transition or loss of a job or lack of direction or a marriage that's on the rocks. They're seeking you. Oh God, today, will you keep your hand extended and would you give us the courage to take it as we seek after you. Just like Nehemiah, may you find in us servants ready to lead, ready to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Song of